God illumine and lighten our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit so that as scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, our eyes may see your kingdom, our ears may hear the call of Jesus, and our hearts may know the joy of your salvation. Amen. Our scripture today is from a letter written to the church in Colossae. Colossae is one of three towns in the valley of the river Lycus, about, as I mentioned, about 100 miles from Ephesus. Just as Chapel Hill and Durham are closer to each other than they are to Raleigh and our research triangle park here, two of these towns were a little fairly close, about six miles apart. On one side of the Lycus River, Laodicea, was a, that was a well-known government and banking center, sort of a little Charlotte, I guess. And Hierapolis had a spa and mineral springs, maybe like Asheville or something. Anyway, these cities formed a shape a lot like our Research Triangle Park. Um, I've read that Colossae was an insignificant market town then, and today you can't even find a stone left to see where that city once stood. It's gone. You could say that Colossae is an appropriate town to consider in the week before Thanksgiving because it was located in what is now Turkey. Mm. The Apostle Paul did not start the church at Colossae. In fact, he never visited there. But he wrote them to warn them and to remind them that Jesus is king. First, he warned them because they got into astrology big time. And second, he warned them about syncretism. Syncretism is sort of making a mashup of different religions. People do that now, too. In the second chapter, he says, See to it, nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deceptions which conform to human <clears throat> traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. All the fullness of deity is in Christ's body, and you have been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In other words, Jesus Christ is all-sufficient. You don't need any of that other stuff. And the third thing is he warned them against a view called Gnosticism. Now, I've mentioned before that if I think about Gnosticism very much, I get one of those throbbing, they used to call them an Excedrin headache, you know, and if I talk about it much, you will too. So I'll be short. Basically, the Gnostics, they tried to explain sin and evil by saying that matter, all the physical stuff that we can see and touch and feel, matter's bad, it's terrible, and therefore God wouldn't have anything to do with that, and therefore Jesus didn't really have a, a real body, just looked like it. Now stay with me. This reasoning led to one of two bad choices about how to live. One was asceticism, which is not denying the body its needs, observing various don't touch, don't taste, all kinds of rules. Well, asceticism was one bad choice. The other bad choice was some of them said, well, you know, if the body makes no difference, just go ahead and do anything you like. No restraints on behavior at all. Another belief of the Gnostics was that if, to get back to God, you needed sort of a special password. You needed special knowledge. 
That meant salvation was only for the special few, the elite, those in the know. In fact, that's where they get the word Gnosticism. Gnostic had to, has to do with knowledge. It's also where you get the word, that same Greek word family, you get the word agnostic, because that somebody says, is there a God? And they say, I don't know. They don't, not knowing. Well, Paul noted no part in this kind of elite, exclusive, special knowledge kind of stuff. And at the end of the first Colossians, the first chapter, he says, we warn and teach every person the good news of the gospel is not just for a few, it's for everybody. So now, lesson for the word of God in Colossians, the first chapter, we'll start at the ninth verse. Since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you might endure everything and have patience and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. He made it so that you could take part in the inheritance and the light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation because all things were created by him both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Whether they are, throne, they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things. All things are held together in him. He is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn among the dead so that he might occupy first place in everything because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you notice what Paul prayed for the Colossians? He prayed that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that they could live lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, producing fruitful good work, and growing in the knowledge of God by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you, you endure everything and have patience and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. Thanks to my parents, I have a set of commentaries. They used to be used for the women's uh, annual Bible studies by William Barclay. And my father liked them so much he bought the rest of them that they didn't use. Well, Barclay says that prayer begins by asking that we be 
filled with ever-growing knowledge of the will of God. <clears throat> now much of the time we pray saying, I will be done. But what we really mean is thy will be changed, you know, to kind of fit my preferences. Perhaps you've heard that, you may have heard that a lot of people want to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity. Tell them what to do. So, the first part of Paul's prayer is that we discern, that is, that we know God's will. That also means that our prayers are not just to announce our wish list, but also to listen to God. The next part of Paul's prayer is that our understanding of God's will be enacted, that our daily deeds demonstrate that they show that we love God and all God's children. I mentioned before the Remember the scene in the musical Oklahoma where the cowboy Curly is describing of that rough guy, Judd, just what, if Judd keeps living like he is, what his funeral might be like one day. And along the way, Curly says that the preacher would say, Judd loved everything and everybody, only he never let on. Our job is to make sure that the way we live day by day we let on that we are Christians. Well, to do this, we need strength. So Paul prays that we will be strengthened through his glorious might so that you can endure everything and have patience. So many times we know the right thing to do, but we lack the gumption, the moral courage, the guts to do it. By example, Paul tells us to ask God for the very strength to do what we know to be right. Again, Bishop Barclay says that Paul's prayer asks for three great qualities, fortitude, patience, and joy. Well, first, fortitude. You, you just might remember that a, a preacher at a recent wedding nearby here mentioned that fort is on those Latin word roots that means strength. So that's not the word that Paul used when he wrote his letter because he wrote it in Greek. He used a Greek word that means, well, it's sometimes translated patience, but it's, it's more than putting up with stuff, that kind of patience. It means the ability to deal triumphantly with anything life can do to us. All of us have known someone who had that kind of fortitude. Remember we were talking about how your mama Louise had that kind of fortitude to deal with whatever came at her and others as, as well for each of us. <coughs> so first he prays for us to have fortitude. And second Paul prays that we have patience. He prayed for us to have patience with people. Now this is more than a grin and bear it kind of resignation that some people will face their Thanksgiving dinners with, right? This is a patience for people who've been annoying, irritating, unpleasant, even malicious without being driven to resentful, hateful bitterness. So first he prays for us to have fortitude in life's troubles and trials. Second, he prays that we have patience with people. And third, Paul prays for us to have joy. So why are we to be joyful? Well, remember what the 
16th verse said that God has rescued us from the control of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. The Son God loves is Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we will joyfully celebrate, the one whom about whom we will soon sing, he rules the world. That's part of the joy to the world. He rules the world with truth and grace. Jesus is God's son who showed us how to live, who died and rose again for us, who came and is coming again to reign forever and ever. So are you walking worthy? Are you being fruitful? When Paul prays for the Colossians, that's what he prayed for them. And essentially, because they got it written down, it prays for us. He tells the readers of his letter that he prays for the Colossians and us to be filled with knowledge of God's will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then he says that he's praying for that knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that what they and we can live lives that are worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work. Thanks be to God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Amen.